Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast for another conversation about all the challenging things. I've been on a little hiatus. I've had some things going on in my personal life and I've needed to take a little break and a little time for myself. So I've been doing that for the past little while, but I'm back with an exciting episode this week where we are going to dig into the topic of supporting our teens. So we've had a few different episodes around health and wellness and happiness and this week we're going to get back into that learning on supporting our teens. I'm excited to learn more about this with um, a counselor and a social worker named Amy Schaefer Post. She's going to talk about supporting our teens and especially their mental health. Amy has an extensive background in supporting teens in the school system being a learning counselor, a school social worker, a therapist, and a clinical manager for the last 15 years. She also holds a Master of Social Work and has developed and delivered many training sessions and workshops throughout her career. I really look forward to her thoughts and how best to support teens. We get into understanding some of the issues that they're struggling with today, and it's such a vast array of things. Also, what we should look out for with our teens to know when they might need more help, especially in the mental health area, Um, and then what types of tools she's recommending in her work. Also, we talk a little bit about tweens, so getting into that preteen versus teen. What's the difference and how do we approach that? And again, um, some key tools in that area as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode and that you learn as much from Amy as I did in terms of really being able to lean into this group, um, especially if you're a parent or maybe an educator that's working with teens. Enjoy this episode with Amy Schaefer-Post. So welcome, Amy, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't we start with you providing a background about yourself and then maybe how you got into helping Sure. So I am a licensed clinical social worker in both uh, Pennsylvania and Maryland, Um I really wanted to, I knew what I wanted to do when I was um, a teenager myself. I knew I wanted to be a therapist and help teens because I was in a position where I had a therapist who was really helpful to me. And I thought, man, if I could, if I could do that for even one person, that would be really phenomenal to give back in that way. So um, I have had a variety of opportunities to support students and Teenagers over the course of time, you'll hear I'll say students a lot because the vast majority of my time has been in schools um, where I have supported students with emotional disabilities in being able to access their education and function in their day-to-day lives. Um, But I've also provided traditional outpatient therapy. I've done crisis work. Um, So I've kind of been around and seen it from different perspectives. Um, And I I love this work. I love the age group. Um, Teenagers are young enough that they're open and that they want to learn and they want to grow and and do things in a way that feels right to them. 
Um, whereas adults, sometimes we get set in our ways. Uh, so it's really a rewarding age group to work with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really neat that you're kind of coming off your own experience. I think um, that makes the work feel so valuable for sure. Um, So I wondered if you could get, we have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, a lot of people interested in understanding more about teens. And we've talked about different areas um, around, you know, their interests and some of their challenges. And I wondered if you could get into some of the common issues that you hear that teens are struggling with. Sure. So some of them are going to sound very familiar to probably what we struggled with as teens ourselves. Some things haven't changed, but the dynamics and what they actually look like have changed. So, for example, it's there are still kids having issues with friends. There's still relationship concerns and um, significant other and romantic partner concerns. But one of the biggest differences that our kiddos face today that we didn't face is social media and all that comes along with having social media and people having access to you 24-7 and being able to track where you are and um, see pictures and see posts. And so that that certainly adds a complication for relationship concerns that thankfully we didn't have to deal with. But unfortunately, it doesn't help prepare us for supporting our, our own kiddos as they go through that. Um Kids are still dealing with anxiety, but I see a heightened level of anxiety. Um, I think COVID hasn't done the world favors in terms of um, making us a less anxious place. Uh, So, you know, we're all struggling with anxiety on some level, it seems like these days. And then you look at teens who normally are feeling a little anxious about their place in the world, and you add in this global pandemic and it certainly compounds their anxiety. Um, Other issues we see are still um, certainly family concerns, things that might be happening within the family, trouble getting along with parents, siblings, um, eating disorders, um, self-harm. That is something that is more prevalent today than it was 20, 30 years ago for certain. Um, And then just in general, identity concerns. And I don't know that that's more prevalent as much as we've thankfully created a culture where, or the teens themselves have created a culture where they're more comfortable talking about their identity and their exploration and trying to figure out who they are and where they fit in the world. Yes, absolutely. And we had somebody on the podcast a few weeks ago that was talking about how to support um, LGBTQ plus children and teens. And so I can I can definitely link that comment up with a lot of what we talked about in that episode. Um, and, and you're right, like this is such a a big variety of, of issues that they have going on for sure. And then compounded through the pandemic and, and the social media piece, which yeah, we did not have to deal with (laughs) as a generation. Uh, And, you know, and it's something that I find myself trying to explain. I have a tween, I guess, Uh, you know, he's Mm -hmm. only 12, but trying to explain when we're putting limits on social media and things like that. And I'm trying to say to him, like, it's because, you know, you don't necessarily need to be bothered all day or linked up all day with people and trying to put 
kind of like that safe space a little bit for for my son around him. But it is it is something that parents, I'm sure, can identify with this social media push too at times mm-hmm. um, from the from the kids. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, I wondered if you can then get into trying to build on some of these issues you've already identified. What are the things or maybe behaviors or kind of like what is a presentation that we should really be looking out for in terms of our teens to know when they might need either more assistance from us or from a mental health team and and assistance in that area? The biggest thing I would say is to notice changes. So we anticipate teenagers to explore and experiment. And so, you know, one day they might be, you know, goth. The next day they might be preppy. Like we expect some exploration around that. But when you see significant changes that are long lasting, so um, someone who has traditionally been very outgoing, very um, involved with their friend group. They want to spend time with others. And now you've noticed that they're not going out with their friends as much. They're preferring to stay in their room. They're just not connecting in the same way they were before. That's a pretty significant behavioral and personality change that we want to look for and pay attention to. You know, we expect teens to have, we talk about a moody teen, right? But we... Um, there should be some baseline in that moodiness. A kiddo that is always angry is most likely not a healthy young person. And so we need to look at where that anger is really coming from. Um, uh, So just looking for those, any sort of changes. And I will tell you, I think as parents, we need to do more to trust our gut. It, it's really powerful. And if our gut says something seems wrong and something seems off, then we need to trust it and approach it. Um, there are, in addition to, to changes, I think there are other things. If you notice your, your child's having trouble maintaining friendships, and that might sound like they're best friends with someone one week and the next week they're telling you, oh, that person, they're just awful. All they do is gossip or talk badly about others. You know, pay attention to that. Does that become a pattern that they're constantly switching friend group to friend group? Um, Do they seem to lack the ability to follow through or be persistent? I think one of the buzzwords we hear a lot these days is the idea of resilience. And um, there's a common, what I think is a misnotion, um, that kids are resilient. Well, that's true, sort of, <laughs> in that kids are more flexible than we are as adults. But resilience is really something that we have to nurture and um, allow a child to practice. And if a kid has struggled or if they have pushed, been pushed to their limits, they might not be able to continue to be resilient and to continue to just push through like at one point in time you thought they were able to. Uh, And certainly, you know, the obvious things of looking at those high risk behaviors. If you notice your teen is being deceitful, is um, you have 
you, you notice certain odors on them when, when they come home in, in the evening, they're not following through with the rules, they're breaking curfew, whatever it might be. Um, if, you know, we expect teen rebellion, but if it's pretty consistent teen rebellion or there are major big concerns, you have to listen to that and address those things. Okay. That makes sense. Definitely. Um, and so say somebody's listening and they are feeling like they're in that position, you know, they're either having a gut feeling or maybe they're noticing certain behaviors that are fitting along and they're not sure where to go now. Like what are some of the tools that you are recommending in your work or that you might recommend to somebody? I think if I'm talking to a parent who says, Hey, I don't know, but I think there might be something going on. The first thing I'm going to advise you to do is to open the line of communication with your child. So um, the best way to talk with teens, in my opinion, is in the car. (laughs) They are a captive audience. Um, You know, they're not, if you try and bring up conversations at home, there's a good chance that they're going to get out of the car or excuse me, not get out of the car, but they're going to walk away from you and into their room, (laughs) right? In the car, they're stuck with you. And the other thing that makes it a little bit easier is you don't have to maintain eye contact. So sometimes if I need to share something with you and I'm a teenager and I'm really uncomfortable, looking at you might make it that much harder because I might be like watching your face to see is there judgment, what's going on. So opening, opening a line of communication is your first step. And when we approach this, we need to do it in a way that is sensitive. Um, if you as the adult are worked up, maybe even a little angry, if it's something that is a behavioral thing, that's not the time to address it. You need to make sure you're in a calm space so that you can really just be a calm presence for your child. You want to start with your concern. Don't beat around the bush. You don't need to, you know, kids are smart. (laughs) We don't give them enough credit for how intuitive they can be. And so, you know, hey, I've noticed X, Y, and Z. This has me concerned. And you leave a moment of silence. Allow them an opportunity to respond. And then genuinely listen to their response and validate it. Um, provide empathy. Don't try and fix the problem. Don't try and judge whether it's really a problem or not, but just merely be present with them. That allows them to feel heard. It allows them to feel um, that you're trustworthy of sharing their their concerns and their, their secrets with you. Um, so that is always my biggest thing for parents is just opening that line of communication. And really we should be doing that with our kids from the time they're little so that hopefully by the time they're teens, they already trust us. We've already built that. But even if you haven't, it's never too late to begin that relationship and to begin building that. Um, there are other tools that once, you know, if I'm working with a student or a child if, or a teen, if they have actually been referred, um, you know, we certainly talk about providing therapy. Obviously, I'm a therapist. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, some of the work we do, there's wonderful, wonderful apps out there that can be really supportive for students and their needs. Um, so, 
depending upon what's going on for your teenager, you know, if you are um, worried about they they seem really anxious all the time, get them involved in some guided meditation or some mindfulness activities. Um, Insight Timer is a great app uh, that you can use for that. Um, Smiling Mind is another good app, and it can even give you a little reminder in the morning (laughs) or whenever you set it to remind you. Um, You can see mine goes off in the morning. That's why I said that. (laughs) But take five minutes to meditate. Um, If you're trying to assess for mood, like um, you can have, there's an app called Emo, and it's spelled with two M's, E-M-M-O. Those apps, or that app allows Um, folks to track their emotions throughout the day or throughout the course of days, which can help in just looking for a pattern. So sometimes students come in and like, I just, I don't know why, but I'm I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling really sad. And so I have them, it's, it's essentially modern day journaling, right? I have them use this app so they can document what's going on when they feel that way. So then when they come back in the next week, we can look for a pattern, what may be really happening there. Certainly a medical assessment can be helpful. Um, And I would tell you that's a great place to start too. Even if you think, hmm, I really think this is just anxiety or just depression. There are a lot of physical ailments, illnesses um, that manifest themselves in ways that look like psychological problems. So we always want to rule out like, Could there be a vitamin deficiency? Could there be something else going on that is causing this anxiety um, or mood instability or whatever it might be? So having an assessment done by your family doctor is a great place to start. They also tend to know some really great referrals um, in your community if you are interested in pursuing therapy. It's a great resource and a great place to be. If you are interested in the or, or maybe a better way to say it's considering um, use of medication. If you think it is to that point where somebody needs medication, you know, a family doc is a great place to start with that. They may refer you on to see a child and adolescent psychiatrist, or they may feel comfortable medicating themselves. It varies from doctor to doctor and from patient to patient, depending on their need. Um, I also like, I have created for our students here at Mercersburg this year, um, mental health first aid kits. So this is something any parent can do for their their child and they can keep it in their room or, you know, someplace in a common place in the house. But essentially I just bought like a little shoebox sized Rubbermaid tub. And um, on the inside of the lid, I have a sheet that's pasted um, that tells you what all's in the tub and how to use each one of those things. So some of the things I put in the tub are Play-Doh because fidgeting with Play-Doh can be really soothing. I have um, note cards and pens. There's adult coloring sheets and colored pencils. There are um, little notebooks that, that kiddos can journal in and then take them with them. There are rubber bands for those who are struggling with thoughts of self-harm or self-harm. Putting a rubber band around your wrist and snapping it gives you a much safer sensation than the sensation of cutting. But I have students um, who report that that is beneficial in helping them prevent cutting. 
Um, there are also balloons to help slow down breathing. When we are anxious, our ability to control our breath is one of our greatest tools. And so filling up that balloon and getting a nice deep breath in is a great, simple way for us to practice getting um, good breathing skills in. There's also a couple cards in there that lead them through some meditation exercises, a grounding exercise, and some breathing exercises. So it's a simple thing you can have that you anyone in your family could access. I, I say do it for your teens, but really it's something we all could use <laughs> from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. It makes me want to do one of those right away. And I think we have those things in many places all over, but to have it all together in a kit and, and very like focused that, that sounds like a great idea. I love that. Um, a few more things that I just wanted to unpack there. I really think that the, the EMMO app, that sounds really interesting. Um, and something that teens might actually use. Like I know my son, I'm always trying to get him to use his agenda. Like the school gives them a planner or an agenda. And like, he's like, I'm not using that thing, but like an app and a reminder in his phone, he might actually use. So, um, the this way to track emotions I really like that Mm -hmm. and then I guess the other thing is so you talked about kind of the open communication for the parent and then listening and validating I think one of the things that's really tricky on the parent side is then if you do get this information sometimes it can be really challenging in terms of what to do and so I'm guessing like, you know, it would depend on what it is you know, sometimes you're maybe then, as you said, like going to a doctor, going to a therapist, going to um, different professionals kind of, or in some cases, you know, maybe having to act quickly, depending what it is. I just wondered if you had any more on sort of how the parent can then process some of this information. Sure. So I, um, I think that, again, it's important to take a breath and know that in that exact moment, you don't have to have the answers. So giving yourself permission to say, wow, I hear what you're going through and I am going to help you. I don't know in this moment exactly what our next steps will be, but I assure you we are going to address this together and you're not in this alone. And that gives you a pair as the parent, a chance to go, okay, (laughs) holy cow, where do I go and who do I turn to? Um, You're right. It really does depend on what that person discloses, but there are lots of people in our communities that we can turn to for support. So whether that be, um, you know, even call the school counselor. Parents can call me here and say, I'm worried about this for my student. Can you please help me figure out how to address it. And, and I can, right. I can say, okay, well, this is where we should start. Um, that that's my area of expertise. Allow me to support your student in that same way. Um, so school counselors are a great resource for things just to even know where to start. Um, I think also, again, just, making sure you're taking care of yourself as a parent too. And I know Sarah, that you talk about that a lot on, on your podcasts that we as parents need to make sure that we're healthy and well. And so if you're, if you're 
student, your child has disclosed something that is heavy and hard to swallow and you're not really sure what to do with it, make sure you have a support system behind you that will allow you to for you to process what they're going through. Um, It's not easy to have a child that's struggling with a mental health related issue. Um, Sometimes there's, we, we tend to fall into a pit of guilt or or self blame and we shouldn't, we shouldn't do any of that, but it's nice to be able to know that you have someone in your corner that you can turn around to and ask for help and support. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. We've talked a lot on the podcast about, um, you know, parents that have children who have different illnesses. Um, you know, I've talked personally, my son has um, a neuroimmune illness and and that support network is so important there, like be it, you know, a therapist or other parents that you know that are dealing with similar issues and things like that. So I can see that it's almost a very similar approach in, in how the parent needs, needs the support depending on whatever issue um, that their teen is dealing with. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I wondered as well, um, we've talked a lot and focused on teens. I wondered if you're finding that a similar approach works for preteens or tweens. And, and even as a follow-up, are you finding their issues that they're dealing with are different Unfortunately, no, their issues aren't really different. <laughs> I would like to say that they are because I don't like to think of our, our tweens and our young, young ones dealing with um, some of these more significant concerns, but, but they are. Um, we're seeing it younger and younger and earlier and earlier. The good news about that is um, our brain plasticity is, you know, better when you're younger. Um, kids are, are more receptive. And so the earlier we can intervene, the better it is. I will say regarding approaches, um, it's pretty similar. Uh, if I have, um, I would say the biggest difference between having an 11-year-old in my office and a 16-year-old in my office, um, or the biggest differences are, first of all, just general language. Um, an older teen, I use um, more clear-cut medical language with them. If they're dealing with anxiety, you know, we talk about anxiety and we talk about symptoms and we use that kind of language. Um, with, whereas with a younger, and especially depending upon maturity level, but with a younger child, um, we'll talk about it a little bit differently. With my wee little ones, we talked about um, anxiety monsters and, and things like that just to give that context that is um, approachable for their appropriate age. There, um, I would, con- I would say though, as parents, that idea that we open that line of communication is really important, regardless of their age, that we are focused on um, creating a, a platform with our children that they can come to us um, I have a colleague who does visiting hours every night and they have for years. She and her husband are both um, work full time outside of the home and they have pretty chaotic schedules. And so every evening they have an hour and they literally everybody kind of snuggles up in their bedroom and they have visiting hours and everybody talks about their day. It's just finding that time that works for you as a family to open the dialogue 
and continue whatever it is. Um, it might be something really fun, but it might be something really significant that they need to share. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the visiting hours thing. I have noticed we tend to make sure that we always eat dinner together. And I've always heard like, you know, that's great for engaging your kids. But I find that that's not where you sort of get those um, those deeper moments. I find the dinner table is great for like, this is what I did today or funny stories and things like that. But I don't tend to really hear the feelings and things like that. And it tends to be closer to bedtime that those come out for us. So, um, you know, others may find the same thing, but I I can see how the visiting hours maybe works. (laughs) Yeah. And the same thing's true in my house. And and I think in part, it's just a more casual time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They've maybe come down from that big day at school where they're so hyped up. And then it's like, as they get closer to bed, they're a little more relaxed and and open up a little bit. So that makes a lot of sense to Mm me. Um, I wondered before we wrap up, you've touched on so many wonderful things that I think this is going to be like a really helpful overview for listeners in terms of of where they should watch out for and some of the tools and things like that, that, that they can think about. Is there any other piece of advice or tool that you want to share for listeners at this point? I think the most important thing we can do as parents, actually there are two things. Um, the most important things are first is to acknowledge and accept all feelings for our children. So All too often, we want to sweep away the bad feelings, right? We just want our kids to feel happy. And so when they're sad, when they're disappointed, when they're worked up, we try and solve that issue and make them feel better. And what that does is it it does a couple things. One, it teaches them that those feelings aren't okay because we're not acknowledging them. And we're saying, oh, goodness. We're not literally saying those words, but if you're feeling sad and I'm like, oh, I got to do something to make you feel better, then the lesson we're teaching is it's not okay to feel sad, but it really is. And unfortunately, you know, we've been raised thinking that it's not okay to feel those, those feelings. And then we become unhealthy adults who refuse to feel those feelings and that is not a healthy way for us to go through our existence. Um, We must be able to feel the deepest of sorrows in order to feel the highest of joys. So without being able to openly acknowledge and be okay with it, it's okay for your child to feel sad. And when your children are really little or even when they're older, it's, I think it's also our job to try and label those feelings and allow our children to correct us when we're wrong. But, you know, um, Brene Brown did a study and asked people what, how many feeling names, feelings they could name. And the average was three. (laughs) And essentially it was mad, sad, glad. Right. Yeah. And there are so many more. And if all we say is I feel sad, but really I feel disappointed or I feel let down, I feel anxious, whatever it might be, it helps us know then how to manage that feeling. And we can acknowledge it and say, okay, why am I feeling this? Our feelings are for a purpose. So 
what's this feeling doing for me? And then what's the next thing? How do I move beyond? Or do I need to move beyond? Or do I need to just feel this for a little bit? So I think as as adults, as parents, we need to make sure that we're teaching that to our children. And one of the best ways for us to teach that is my second piece of advice, and that is to model it. So that, um, what has the old saying go like, um, do as I do, as I say, not as I do, but in reality, (laughs) our kids do as we do. Mm -hmm. And so if we can own our emotions and say, you know what, right now I'm feeling very challenged. I'm feeling very stressed. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling ecstatic. I'm feeling so excited giving them the language and then showing them that it's okay to feel those things. And here's an appropriate way to feel those things. You know, I don't like when I worked with little ones and they would be upset because I'm not allowed to feel angry. And I'd say, no, 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 you are 100% allowed to feel angry. I want you to feel angry. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to throw punches <laughs> when you're angry. Right. Yeah. So, so modeling that, Hey, as an adult, when I do get angry, sure do. And when I get angry, here's what I do. Here's how I help myself. Maybe you could try this next time. But if our kids see us, it's a much healthier way for them to know that this is acceptable and this is part of the way we were created and and all emotions are a gift and they have a purpose, even ones that make us maybe feel a little less comfortable. Mm, yes, I think that makes so much sense. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do find times as a parent, I'll stop myself because I'll either, you know, hear something. And as you mentioned before, like try to go in with the solution. And I know, I know, I know, I know that I need to <laughs> just listen. And I'll be like, oh, shoot, stop, stop. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, that that sometimes I'll kind of do these check-ins and, you know, sort of feel that relief when they're like, yeah, I'm fine. Or the day's going well. And it's like, yeah, I, but I need to realize that, you know, my whole 24 hours doesn't go perfectly well. I have times where, um, you know, I'm up or down. And so I can't have that expectation that they're always going to feel great. Right. Like I think as a parent, that's what you'd love. You'd love them to, you know, every minute of every day is positive, (laughs) but unfortunately, that's not how life right. has to go. So <laughs> I think those are really good reminders, right? That our expectation of their mood can't be much different than our own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, it's human, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the human experience. and what makes us human. Mm-hmm. 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 And you're right, the the good comes with the bad and 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 all the different feelings. Yeah, I do find that when they can get more specific on the like, oh, I'm frustrated as compared to just mad, you know, it does help to be like, okay, well, what are you frustrated with? And yeah, and, yeah. and be more specific about, well, maybe I could actually help with that and um, not just uh, generally upset or mad mm-hmm. or crying or whatever. So those are really helpful reminders for sure. So I'm sure listeners are going to want to learn a little bit more about you. I wondered what are the best ways if they feel like they'd like to follow up with you um, in the future? Well, I um, I would say two things. One is I'm going to give you just a general, I, I don't do a lot of social media um, myself, mm-hmm. but 
I'm going to give your listeners a website that they can check out that has a ton of great resources for youth and mental health. It's um, it, the, the website is for the Youth Mental Health Project, and okay. it is ymhproject.org. And there are so, so, so many great resources there. Um, you can access me. Um, you can access me through um, mercersburg.edu and then... Um, under counseling, you'll see my my information that you can access me there. You're welcome to email or call. I am happy to um, try and give you some guidance or direction if you're dealing with something. But I'd also encourage you to reach out to your own school and what um, resources may be available there. I think that's a great, um, often underutilized knowledge base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's great. And I think that's those are places that people can follow up and, and start to dig in a little bit more. That's perfect. All right. Well, Amy, I really appreciate your time today. I think this has, has been really wonderful and helps helps sometimes parents that maybe feel like their teen is a bit of an enigma to, fi- to figure out <laughs> what is going on and, and the best ways to to start to peel back some of those layers. So I really appreciate your time today. And thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Amy Schaefer-Post for this great interview today. I really learned a lot. I thought it was a great conversation. Feel free to check out the resources that she mentions, ymhproject.org, or finding her on the mercersburg.edu website under counseling. And she mentions you can email call if you are looking for information. Again, I really appreciate you tuning in, especially after this long hiatus. Uh, Looking back at the episode that I did right before my break, uh, How to Love Food and Fitness in That Order with Sam Guaz, did really well. A lot of people tuned in for that, so I hope that you enjoyed that episode um, in terms of really digging into nutrition and talking about Sam's journey and understanding um, how we can kind of integrate fitness and food together in kind of harmony. So I really enjoyed that episode as well. I've got a few more that are already ready to go. I'll be looking to share in the next little while. So hopefully you'll be back over the next few weeks to see what we're looking at um, and enjoy learning and digging into those difficult things. Thanks so much and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se hyphen german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi ko com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.